The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Good morning, everybody. Dick Gabriel sitting in for The Voice here on the Leach Report, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio once again. And it's a good day in the bluegrass, or really everywhere, for Kentucky fans as the Wildcats and their supporters celebrate another victory last night. They were impressive for, I'd say, about 35 minutes in the win over Vanderbilt. Then the substitutions began, and the offense kind of fell apart. And a huge lead became just a big lead, but is still a victory for the Wildcats. And we will talk about that, as well as returning football players. It has been a good past few days for the Wildcats. We will talk about all of this with Chris Fisher of 247 Sports. You see his work in the Cats' paws, among other places. John Clay of the Herald Leader, Kentucky.com. And John Wong of Nolan Media Group. And they are all, of course, going to be up to speed on basketball, football, and whatever we bring up. But let us start first, as they always do, as the Leach Report always does, with Wildcat News of the Day. Presented by Giuseppe's, check out their new climate-controlled patio and the drive through window for orders to go. Wildcats ranked uh, number 21 last week and pretty much hung in there for uh, after the loss to LSU, so, but still a heavy favorite going into last night's game with Vanderbilt. Got a huge effort, once again, from Oscar Shibway. A career-high 30 points, 13 rebounds. Wildcats, by the way, ranked 18th this week. Uh, 78-66 was the final, but as you know, at one point the lead was 28 points. Kentucky just went stone cold in Vandy into the game on a 16-0 run. But the Wildcats ran their record. The 13-3, and they're 3-1 and now in the Southeastern Conference. They have beaten Vandy 11 straight times. John Calipari is 22-4 and against Vandy. He is now three wins away from career victory total number 800. Sheboy came into the game uh, leading the nation in rebounding. Only, as we said, had 13, although he had a bunch in the first few minutes. He had four I think before the first TV timeout, and of course spent much of the latter part of the game on the bench. He is second in the country in double-doubles. It was his 12th last night, and he became the first U.K. player with at least 30 points and 10 rebounds in a game since Patrick Patterson did it back in 2008. That was Calipari's prior to his first year uh, on December the 22nd against Tennessee State. Ty Ty Washington, Jr., 15 points for Kentucky. He had a modest four assists after the 17-assist game that he turned in uh, not long ago. But uh, ran the offense well, shot the ball well. Really, everybody shot the ball well. Uh, Scotty Pippen, Jr., impressive again. Nearly matched his average of 17 points by halftime. Finished with 32 points. You could see last night why this guy was the preseason player of the year in the Southeastern Conference. But the Wildcats held Jordan Wright scoreless for the first time this season 
after he has averaged 12.5 points a game for Vanderbilt. Trey Thomas had 14, but it was there was an 11-point run by the Wildcats early. That put things away for the Cats, and it shut down the doors. Leach Report is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. We'll take a break, come back, and chat with Chris Fisher of 247 Sports. Stay with us on the Leach Report. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. Nick Gabriel and Tom Leach on the Wednesday edition of the Leach Report. And as always, we welcome in Chris Fisher of 247 Sports and the Cats Paws. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you. We are, of course, talking off the top about Kentucky's win over Vanderbilt. And you wrote for the website uh, about Severe Wheeler missing the game. And, of course, he was out for the Georgia game. Ty, Ty Ty Washington set the new school record for assists. And it, it looked last night, Chris, as though Kentucky didn't really need Xavier Wheeler in this one. Vandy was a good win for Kentucky. Vandy, though, is not contending for the uh, uh, conference championship this year. But uh, what kind of flexibility does this give Kentucky in your mind? with two guys who have proven now they can run the point in different ways. Yeah, I've thought from the beginning that this was a very versatile, uh, very deep Kentucky team. Uh, Obviously, you like what you've seen from Ty Ty Washington in place of Severe Wheeler at the point. I think uh, that dynamic with he and Oscar Sheboy in the pick and roll gives Kentucky a really potent offensive weapon because you can't go under – the screen on Ty Ty Washington the way you can on Severe Wheeler because Ty Ty Washington is going to make you pay. Shoots it really, really well, especially from that mid-range area. And and Oscar Sheway has proven to be very, very effective in that pick and roll as well. And so I think that's something that's emerged that's given Kentucky kind of a go-to uh, in its half-court offense. And uh, you, Davion Mintz, I think, proved the last season that he is more than capable of, of running the point in a pinch. And, um, you know, I think Kentucky's got a lot of different options that they can throw at you, um, in the backcourt. And I think Jay Dillis made the point last night that when Severe Wheeler does come back, he's going to come back to an improved, uh, Kentucky team because they have other guys of, uh, that are capable of, of, of playing the point and, and running the team and doing that effectively. What does Wheeler give them in terms of the full court game that maybe Wheeler doesn't? Because it looks to me like Wheeler's got you know one gear for the most part. Not I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but uh, uh, you got to keep up with him. Yeah, I, I think Severe Wheeler makes this team faster the way he can push the ball up the floor, and I think that's when this team is at their best is when they're getting up and down, uh, flying up and down the court, uh, scoring points in transition scoring points uh, on the fast break and i think defensively as well uh, with his pressure on the ball i think it really helps kentucky def- defensively that's where your defense starts is with pressure on the ball and and severe wheeler is a really uh, relentless defender he's been around the block a couple times in college basketball he knows what he's doing he's very savvy uh he's very quick as well and 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 very small uh, I think if you've played basketball, you understand how pesky those really small defenders can be because you don't know really where they are um, at all times. So I think that's a, a dynamic that Kentucky has been missing and, and one that 
uh, they'll get back when he returns. Did you have a chance to catch any of the Auburn-Alabama game after the Kentucky game? Yeah, I did. What What were your thoughts as you watched those two teams and the way they play? And a lot of that action, as you saw, was above the rim. Because when I watch a game like that, I, I think it's only, and I think most people probably do, it's only natural to think about, all right, what happens when Kentucky plays these guys? Uh, did your mind go in that direction? Yeah, I think uh, I was looking at Kentucky's schedule coming up, and uh, it's they have a difficult stretch. Uh, they're you know thirteen and three overall, three and one in the SEC. But you got Tennessee coming up on on Saturday. Then they go at A and M, at Auburn, um, and those are going to be two really tough games. Auburn, I think, right now is the class of the SEC and might be the best team in the country. You look at. Uh, like you said last night, there were a lot of tall, long athletes on that floor last night. Jabari Smith playing his way into the discussion for the number one overall pick in the draft. And, uh, you know, those guys are always relentless. Bruce Pearl always has his teams playing really, really hard. And uh, I think Auburn and the environment there is about as tough a place to play in the SEC right now. So that's going to be a, a really difficult game for uh, for Kentucky to win. Yeah, going to learn a lot about this team. We'll learn more about it when that matchup happens. We'll learn more Saturday when Kentucky plays Tennessee, but Tennessee has not been the team, I think, yet that a lot of people think it will be, but we all know Kentucky brings out the best, so we'll see. Let me shift you over to uh, football in the minutes we have remaining. Uh, you wrote about it, and many people know, everybody knows by now, that Chris Rodriguez says he is coming back to U.K. next year. There are two Kentucky running backs in the transfer portal, but uh, the, the the spate of players coming back, Chris, I think, has been a pleasant surprise at any rate. Were, were any of these names on the list of guys coming back, any of them surprise you? Uh, Jordan Wright surprised me a little bit, mainly just because it, it, it seemed as though he was hinting on social media that, you know, he was, that he was going to be leaving or this was going to be his, his last season at Kentucky. But I mean, you know, these are the equivalent of signing, you know, high, a high level transfer or, you know, a, a high four star, five star, uh, prospect out of high school. These are guys that are obviously part of Kentucky's core that are going to, you know, contribute in a, in a big way next season. Uh, I thought Chris Rodriguez would come back, um, if, if for no other reason than to, to graduate and with that, uh, career rushing record in sight, I, I thought that he would come back. And then you had, you know, you had the fumbling issues yeah. this season that I think marred some of his NFL draft stock. And so, uh, took much better care of the ball in the second half of the season. I think he only had one fumble in the last, uh, five games after, you know, that stretch during the, the early part of the season. But, um, just so you, it can't be overstated. Just, uh, several huge, huge weapons for Kentucky coming back that are going to lay the groundwork for what I think, you know, could be another 10 win season oh, yeah. in 22. In yeah, I fully agree with you. I was a little surprised pleasantly that, uh, Weaver's coming back and Jacquez Jones. Although, who wants to go out the way he did, you know, with an injury? And, man, I watched him uh, on the sidelines down there at the Citrus Bowl not being able to play, or at least not being allowed to play. And he looked like he had lost his puppy. I mean, he was just so forlorn that he couldn't be in there. So uh, that obviously is a huge help at linebacker where Kentucky wasn't all that deep last year. 
Yeah, I think Kentucky went from a situation where they, you know, might be a little bit thin at linebacker to just being absolutely loaded in that linebacker room. You have Jordan Wright, you have DeAndre Square and Josh yeah. Jones, your leading tackler coming back, and J.J. Weaver on the other side, and uh, some young players at that position, uh, you know, Martez Thrower, uh, garnered rave reviews during uh, during camp and at times during the season as part of the uh, the scout team, Trevin Wallace, who missed the bowl game as well, I think, you know, has an unbelievably bright future at Kentucky. And so a lot of playmakers at that, um, at that position. And, um, again, you look at, at the depth that Mark Stoops has built at Kentucky. And, you know, every year it seems like, oh, well, they lost Benny Snell and Josh Allen. There's no way they can replicate that. And then you have <laughs> Chris Rodriguez come in. You have, you know, the development of, of Josh Pascal at defensive end. And uh, Kentucky has found a way to replace guys that a lot of people thought were irreplaceable. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see which uh, which young guys step up into those positions next season. He is Chris Fisher. Follow him at Chris Fisher 247 Sports. If you do that, you learn that Chris prefers tricks when it comes to cereal. Uh, it's important information <laughs> like that that you have to have. Chris, thanks so much. Have a great day. All right, thanks. And when we come back, we will keep talking Kentucky football and basketball with John Clay. Get Gabriel in for Tom Leach on the Leach Report, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Leach Report. Dick Gabriel in for The Voice, who, of course, was a late returnee from Nashville last night. A reminder that the stories we talk about today you can find on the Leach Report page, sponsored by Bud Light at TomLeachKY.com. Let us welcome our next guest, Mr. John Clay, sports columnist for the Herald Leader, Kentucky.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Dick. I'm wondering if you, of course, watch Kentucky, which I know you did last night, and then I just asked Chris Fisher a similar question. You watch Auburn versus Alabama. Where do you think Kentucky is right now in terms of development and readiness in the SEC? Because this is a vital, could be a pivotal stretch of games coming up the next three games. Yeah, I didn't get to, I taped Auburn, Alabama, but I didn't get to watch much of it because I was writing sure. and uh, doing other stuff. Uh, after the Kentucky game uh, last night. But I did watch Auburn the other day against Florida. Uh, you know, they're very good. Uh, a guy who makes a big difference for him is, uh, uh, is Green, the kid from Eastern Kentucky, who comes off the bench for him at guard and is, is, does a really, you know, uh, does a really good job. Yeah. And obviously, uh, Jabari Smith is a really good player, the freshman. And Bruce Pearl, as always, he's got him playing, you know, really good defense. Um, there, I think Kentucky can compete with the, uh, any of the team, the top teams in the SEC, does that mean they can beat them every time? No, but can they beat them? Yes. Uh, of course, the Auburn game is down at Auburn here in a couple of weeks, and that's always a tough place to play um, down there. Uh, but I think the way Kentucky's playing right now, I put them right there with with Auburn, and you know, I know Alabama's down a little bit of a. Uh, uh, hit a, you know that loss to Missouri was surprising, and then get beat last night. But I still think they're a good team. LSU's a really good defensive team, and Tennessee—they've been a little up and down, but they had come to rep on Saturday. They're also a really good defensive team. I put all those teams kind of right together right now. 
one of the metrics has Tennessee as the second-best defensive team in America. And Tennessee trailed South Carolina in the first half last night and then ended up winning by 20. So uh, how vital is it in your mind? Because you wrote about the fact that, yeah, there was no severe Wheeler last night, but no problem uh, once again. But how vital to get him back for Tennessee? Well, I mean, obviously he would help to get him back. I mean, uh, they've done well the last couple of games without him, but they also played Georgia and Vanderbilt. I think Tennessee's on a different level than Georgia and Vanderbilt. And uh, Severe, I think especially on the defensive end of the floor, uh, you know, there was not just, you know, not just offensively, and obviously he's very effective offensively, the way he can pass the ball and move the ball and penetrate, but defensively, the way he applies pressure on the ball, kind of sets the tone defensively. I think that would be very helpful against Tennessee. Tennessee has an excellent freshman guard in Kennedy Chandler. Um, so, you know, to see Wheeler going up against Chandler would be a very good matchup. You know, hopefully he's back. They've shown they can win without him, but obviously I think they're a better team with Savar, with Severe Wheeler. Naturally, the Internet, and I'm sure fans who were not on Twitter or wherever, uh, <laughs> went a little nuts toward the end after Kentucky went stone cold. And you saw Vanderbilt rip off a 16 nothing run. Uh, they blame Calipari for, quote-unquote, slowing it down. I think things did slow down. But, John, I think a lot of it was the guys he subbed into the game. You know, just, just didn't have that mesh that the first seven had. Should there be a concern about that? No, I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. I, I agree. I think he, he, he may have slowed it down some, but I think mainly he subbed in, want to get a look at, give some guys some playing time, get a look at some guys, and they kind of lost their momentum, lost their focus. And I think it's always hard when you sub your starters out of the game at the end, towards the end of the game, they think the job is done, and then things start to go the other way, and you try to put them back in for them to get the momentum back. I, I, I think they just lost focus, lost concentration. Is it a good thing they didn't score the last six minutes and 14 seconds or whatever it was you yeah, know no it's not a good thing but I, i'm i'm not really that that worried about it i think uh considering the circumstances I, I i don't think it's any kind of long-term thing i do think that you know they need to develop and cal talked about this last night after the game they need to develop some of those guys coming off the bench bryce hopkins uh, damian collins guys like that and uh, but as cal said put them in and the score starts going the other way you know, he can't leave them in there. So, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, that was another question that was asked Cal last night. How many players do you need to trust going yeah. down the stretch yeah. into the tournament? He said all of them. We're going to need all of them. <laughs> he talked about injuries. But we know yeah. Cal. Cal likes to get it down to seven or eight guys. Got to hit a break, John. I'll be right back. Okay. Sure. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Welcome back, Dick Abril, in for the voice of the Wildcats, and we are chatting with John Clay of the Lexington Herald Leader. We talked about Kentucky basketball. Why don't we shift to football, John, and talk about the fact, in fact, you've got a column in today's paper, and I like your lead about the fact that it used to be difficult to get Kentucky people to come to play at Kentucky. Now it's hard to get them to leave. Uh, it's, it's a pretty impressive roster, John, of guys who are coming back, and I will ask you, uh, did any of those names cause your eyebrows to jump up? Any of them surprise you? Yeah, Chris Rodriguez surprised me only because the book on college running backs now is that you know you need to get out before you get too many miles on the tire. You know, running backs can only hold up so long in the NFL. You want to get the clock going and start making that money in the NFL. 
Uh, so I was a little surprised that Chris came back after rushing for 1,300 yards. I mean, I'm glad to see him back. Obviously, that helps Kentucky, but I was a little surprised by that. A little surprised by, you know, you got all the linebackers that came back. Yeah. A little surprised that DeAndre came back, DeAndre Square. Uh, you know, you would have finished <laughs> on a very high note with his uh, game-feeling interception against Iowa, but uh, he decided to come back along with Jordan Wright and Jacquez Jones. I think it's says a lot about the culture that Mark Stoops has built over there. That these guys still want to be part of the program. They they got a good thing going on over there, and it's hard for them, these players to walk away from that. So I think it speaks well. One of the things I mentioned in the call, I think if you're around this, and I think you've noticed as well, Dick. These guys that Mark recruits and brought in, these guys love football. Yes. They just love football. They want to play. They want to practice. They want to be a part of the team. And I think I think Mark looks for that. And I think we're seeing some of that by. And some of these guys have said, you know, I'm not ready to give up my college career. I agree, and I, I saw that, and that's a great point. And I, it's always something that, that makes me sit up and take notice when Stoops talks about what it's been like on an off week or the period between the end of the season and the bowl game, how well they've practiced. And then, you know, those of us in the broadcast crew, we have a chance to chat with Tom after he talks to the coordinators privately on Fridays. And he, Tom always brings that up about how good they feel, uh, the, the coaches, about what they've seen in practice. And I, that's not easy to cultivate that kind of atmosphere, is it? No, because it's, uh, you know, as we know, it's pretty much if you're a college athlete these days, it's a 12-month-a-year job. You spend a lot of time over there. I know there's a 20-hour practice rule, but it takes a lot more time than that when you're talking about video and strength training and that sort of thing. And then when you get rewards for your hard work, I mean, this is a 10-win season this past year, 5-3 five, uh, five and three in the SEC. You finish in the top 25. There's a lot of the way too early top 25s coming out for next year where Kentucky is included. I've only seen one where uh, Kentucky wasn't included in that top 25. Uh, you know, I think obviously when you get a reward for your hard work, that spurs you on as well. Uh, but I think it all speaks to basically the culture that Mark Stoops has built over there. Another former top 100 player transferring in, Darian Henry Young from Ohio State. And be, just because he was rated highly at a high school, comes from a football factory in Ohio State, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to step in and be a superstar at Kentucky. Right. But this is a guy who evidently is a proven commodity. And I know Brad White and, and – uh, Vince Merrill posed for a photo with him, so they're excited. But that's just another element to this program that I think is really interesting, John, is is the guys not only don't want to leave, but the guys from the traditional football powers who want to be a part of it. Yeah, again, a wide receiver from Virginia Tech and an offensive lineman from Auburn as well. Yeah. Uh, did we lose John? Yeah, I think we did. Well, we will call John back uh, here in just a moment and uh, see if we can connect with him for these last couple of minutes. But, again, uh, Darian Henry Young, two years at Ohio State and uh, a former four-star prospect, signed with the Buckeyes as part of the 2020 recruiting class. And wouldn't you know, he's a Cincinnati native, 6'4", 265, played up at Princeton High School and was a top-20 prospect at defensive tackle and it was rated as Ohio's number two player in the class, in that class. So, uh, played in a couple games as a true freshman, did not participate 
during the 2021 season. So he will start over at Kentucky. Let us bring John back. How are you doing, sir? Yeah. Got, yeah. You there? Yeah. You can, can you hear me now? I got you now. Yeah. Okay. Just a couple minutes left with John now. But uh, I was a little, I was pleasantly surprised by the return of DeAndre Square, John. And I don't know if it was because, I mean, he had an heroic finish to, to the Citrus Bowl. But, uh, and the, the other question, really what I ought to ask you more than anything, is how much, in your opinion, has NIL had to do with these guys returning? Well, I mean, surely I'm sure that plays a part in it. I mean, you can get that you can also play and you can also get some money uh, for, for name, image, and likeness. I think that's obviously a factor. You know, somebody tweeted at me yesterday about the column, you know, whether they're staying because of the NIL money. Well, they could also transfer somebody to someplace else and get NIL, NIL money as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that's I, surely that's got to be some factor in it. Yes. Yeah, and you know, yeah, you could you could make money uh, if you go to a different school, but you're a known commodity here, and if Correct. you're if you're playing well at all, people want to be associated with your brand. Uh, and, you know, people call it the Wild West. Other people have said, well, it's been going on. Really, it hasn't been going on because you haven't seen pictures of kids on billboards uh, prior right. to now. <laughs> but uh, it, it's going to be interesting to revisit this in about five years, isn't it, and see where we are. Oh, yeah. Uh, between that and the transfer portal, I mean, it is kind of the Wild Wild West. I mean, but that's going to have to adjust to the times. I think the coaches who do adjust, and do the best job of adjusting, I think, are the ones that are going to succeed. Uh, I do agree with Nick Saban. He said the other day in the press conference leading up to the championship game about, uh, you know, NIL was not supposed, was not intended for people to use it in recruiting. And obviously, you know, that I'm sure that is going on. They got, need to find a way, need to figure out a way to downplay that. I'm not sure exactly how you do that. But overall, I still think NIL is a good, is a good thing yeah. for these kids. I mean, there's so much money being made. And I think it's unfair for universities to make money solely off the off the players' name and image and likeness without them getting to benefit from that as well. So I think overall it's a good thing, and I think the coaches who adjust and the programs who adjust to it the best are the ones that are going to succeed. Fully agree with that. And before I let you go, your thoughts on Georgia's win over Alabama? Uh, had you made a prediction on that, and what did you what did you think of what you saw? I think I predicted before the game Georgia twenty four twenty one. I thought all go. year long that Georgia. I thought all year long Georgia was the best team. I was surprised that Alabama beat them. I, I thought Georgia had the revenge factor, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I wasn't surprised. I think obviously Williams getting hurt, Jamison Williams getting hurt early in the game hurt Alabama. But I still thought all year long that Georgia was the best team. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting too how Georgia. I thought made better use of the time between their two games. I really thought, well, yeah. you know, Saban's going to come up with something else, but Georgia was ready for just about everything, wasn't it? Yeah, they were. They, they were, and you know, they, I thought a big key was they basically shut down Alabama's running game. Robinson was not able to run yeah. the ball like he did against Cincinnati, and Alabama had to rely on the pass, and I think uh, that ended up kind of hurting him. And like I say. Williams getting hurt hurt him, but really happy for Stetson Bennett. He, I was one of the ones who thought, oh, I don't know if they can do it with this guy, <laughs> but they did. He's a great story. Uh, really happy for him, and then I think it, what his story is kind of a lot of what college football is all about. Yeah. So, congratulations to him and all of Georgia's uh, players and fans. John Clay of the Herald Leader, Kentucky.com. John, thank you so much. Have a great day. 
You too, Dick. Thank you. Have a good one. When we come back, John Wong, blogger, Wong's Winings is the name of his work on the Internet. We'll let him whine a little bit with us here on the Leach Report, brought to you by Wild Eggs of Lexington. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Leach Report, coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. Dick Gabriel in for The Voice. And we welcome John Wong of Wong's Winings, Nolan Media Group, Just the Cats. He works for anybody who will have him. And he is joining us this morning. Happy about a Kentucky win over Vanderbilt. But, John, according to your Twitter feed, you've got a dilemma you're wrestling with? Yeah, I was hoping that you could help me with it this, uh, this morning. Uh, you know that Kentucky and Tennessee, they tip off at 1 o'clock at Rupp Arena this Saturday. Right. That game, I figure, is going to end up at about 3, a little bit after 3. The Bengals kick off in that AFC wild card against the Raiders at 4.30. I've got to be up in Cincinnati by that time, too. Do you have a corporate helicopter you could lend me at that time? If not, how can I solve that dilemma? The best I can do is the Big Blue Insider scooter that I sometimes ride. To the, to the, well, at least I used to ride to the radio station, a little 50cc scooter. Take you meh, about four hours to get up to Cincinnati. Um, your dilemma, John, is going to have to be leave at halftime if you want to try to hit both. I'm yeah, that's ready. tough because I'm riding for two different outlets. As you yeah. say, I'm a mercenary. I'll go for anybody who will have me. And you want to do a good job for both of them. You don't want to cheat any one of them on their coverage. So I'm still trying to find out the best way to get both of those games done all within a time span if any of the listeners have any ideas <laughs> have them have them tweet me <laughs> yeah you know keep your fingers crossed maybe they'll throw up some high speed uh, rail in between lexington and cincinnati between now and saturday i wouldn't count on it uh well let us double back to the Bengals. but let me get your thoughts on what you saw last night i know the big blue nation minus the final six minutes or so of the game very happy with what they saw but i've asked everybody this morning john after watching that game, and I don't know if you had a chance to, to peek at the Auburn-Alabama game or if you were writing, but, um, you know, those are two of the big boys, especially Auburn in the SEC. Uh, where does Kentucky right now stack up against the rest of the league, in your opinion? Well, if you're talking about the top members in the league, I'm yeah. not quite sure they're quite ready to handle that environment down in Auburn. As you know, that's one of the toughest places to play. Yep. Looks like Bruce Pearl has them playing at a very high level. Those guys are playing above the rim. They're flying up and down the court. But it's the SEC. You don't necessarily have to win all these games on the road. You just have to hold serve at home. And I think Kentucky's got a big challenge. I think they certainly can win, but I'm not anticipating a victory when they, they face Auburn. Does John Calipari have a quarterback controversy now? I don't think so. I think you have to look at both sides of the ball, too. You know, what, uh, what Ty Ty has shown is that he can adequately handle the efforts on the offensive end. But I think what Kentucky fans might not uh, realize is how important that Wheeler was on that defensive side of the ball. So I think it's only going to be a win-win when he comes back. Calipari has said all along 
uh, from the very beginning of the season that he's got good guards. And when you look at that guard rotation, especially when Wheeler comes back, I think you're looking at probably the most solid quartet of guards that Kentucky may have ever had in, in their history. Calipari says he wants to play three guards. I wouldn't mind to see him playing four guards at a time. I mean, Mintz has shown that he can get in there, mix it up, and rebound the ball, too. Yeah, and there's no question. And now that he's gotten a few more minutes, he's finding a little more rhythm, isn't he? And his shot is, is looking more like it did last year. I'm encouraged by everything I've seen. Let me throw a date out at you. December 11th. It's a date that will live in infamy. Does that ring any bells for you? Uh, it's actually very recent. Okay? friend of mine's birthday, that... <laughs> but otherwise... <laughs> It was the day that I was up there in the Joy Center on the campus of the University of Notre Dame just this past year. And I walked out of there thinking, my goodness, what in the world is going on here? Here we have a Kentucky team that's duplicating their efforts from the year before. They can't shoot. They can't pass the ball. They didn't play any defense down the line. But then, miraculously, the team has a come-to-touchdown-Jesus moment. They leave, and all of a sudden, they turn it around. They start passing the ball well. The shots start falling. Uh, they start rebounding like Oscar can, can do. They start playing defense. And sure, there was that little blip against LSU, but we all acknowledge that Wheeler was missing. Yeah. Oscar was missing part of that game. Ty Ty was, was out. And it's no embarrassment. It's not a shameful thing to lose to a top 10 team on their own home court. So, Kentucky's on a roll. I'm very, very encouraged by, by the trend that I'm seeing now. I'm excited about it. Well, and you could say, well, it's George, it's Vandy, but good teams should do to these teams what Kentucky is doing. And, and to your point about uh, the, the date that will live in infamy, uh, John, you and I go back. We, we realize we didn't know each other, but we were in school at the same time, meaning you've seen a lot of basketball games, and you know – December is one thing, and March is another. But, you know, the Big Blue Nation lives through every game. I get that. And you're only as good as your last game. So, yeah, I think a lot of people were wondering, you know, did did Notre Dame create the blueprint for how to beat Kentucky? And the answer is maybe that day, but not for the rest of days, not necessarily. You know, every game is, is, is unique, of course. And it's been interesting watching this team figure out different ways to excel, but almost every one of them, John, involves a guy named Oscar, doesn't it? They can't do it without him. It's no. just so important for him to be on the court. And he said in the post game last night that he realizes that, that he senses a certain degree of responsibility for him to be on the court, not only because of the rebounds and the points that he's responsible for, but just the fact that he's on there gives the team a sense of confidence that they can they can do what they need to do in order to win the game. When he's off the court, it's almost like, oh, no, yeah, Collins and Hopkins and Ware and Toppin, they're just not quite meshing together. They need him on the court. He needs to stay out of foul trouble. John, i got about 90 seconds left. Uh, tell me about your beloved Bengals and why should we believe that they're going to be in the playoffs for a while? Just, I, I, I can't believe I'm in. saying this. 
because we're talking about the Bengals. You know, they haven't been in the playoffs since 2015, and they haven't won a game in 31 years. But I really do think that this team can make a difference. I mean, you're talking about a solid core of offensive players at the skill position. Joe Burrow, Joey Franchise, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon. They're the first team this year in NFL history with a 4,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard rusher, and two thousand yard receivers who are all under 26 years of, of age heck that's a heck of a nucleus and it speaks well not only for this year where they can make some noise but i think if they draft judiciously get some offensive linemen maybe shore up their secondary they can be a household name for years to come never thought i'd be saying that against them but that's my story i'm sticking to it oh i like it but i think you're right and i think the achilles heel is the o-line and they're damn lucky that Burrow is, is able. He's not a great runner, but he's mobile. They just got to keep him from getting killed, right? Yeah, that's going to be a real key against the Raiders. I mean, they've yeah. got a great pass rush. So I think if the Bengals can keep that pass rush in check, then you'll see them moving on to the second round. And I know you tweeted about that Raiders-Chargers game. I was like, am I going to watch this? And then, oh, my God, I'm not, I wouldn't want to miss this. <laughs> but to me, the favorite, as I let you go, my favorite tweet has been the fact that nobody, to your point about the last time the Bengals won a playoff game, no one has ever tweeted about a Bengals playoff win because the last time the Bengals won in the playoffs was a year before Twitter was invented. I think that's well, incredible. I, I better get that Bengals win tweet for the first time ever <laughs> in the history of Twitter ready because it's coming out. All right, well, we will hold you to that, John. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Oh, and by the way, be sure you pick up John's book if you can find it, Kentucky Passion. It's going fast. And also he worked on the book with Kyle Macy about the rafters of Rupp. Got to be pretty proud of that, sir. Yeah, it is. I didn't mean to have two books out at the same time, but you're like your kids. You can't like one over the other. So (laughs) when people ask, which one should I get, my answer is yes. Get them both. You can also go on Amazon. Thanks, John. Have a good one. And we'll come back and wrap up this edition of the Leach Report. Thanks again to our guest today, John Wong, John Clay, and Chris Fisher, as well as our producer, Shannon the Dude. And by the way, stay tuned for Billy and the Dude coming up next right here on these same stations. And, of course, Saturday is Kentucky and Tennessee. You'll hear that one with Tom Leach and Mike Pratt as the Cats head into this tough stretch of games. Tennessee at home, at Texas A&M, and at Auburn. We're going to find out a lot more about what these Wildcats are made of. Should be interesting. And Tom Leach will be here to talk with you about it each morning. The Leach Report sponsored by Wild Eggs of Lexington. That's it. So long. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you